Welcome to Nutrition Grad Guide. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and multi-passionate entrepreneur. I created this podcast to help nutrition grads just like you navigate your way into a career and a life that you love. In each episode, I'm going to bring you interviews with experts in the nutrition and health field, exploring a range of different career pathways. We'll learn about what they do, how they got there, and their advice to help you grow a successful career as a nutritionist or a natural health professional. Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest on the podcast is the lovely Emma Beverly, who is a pediatric dietitian working at the Monash Children's Hospital. And I'm really looking forward to this episode because, of course, working with kids is a completely different ballpark to working with adults. So I'm really interested to hear Emma's perspective. Um, and the episode we had with Madison Hill, who also works in a hospital setting, has been one of the most popular episodes of the podcast. So I'm sure this one with Emma will be just as popular. And I hope you all love it and learn so much from Emma today. So thank you so much for joining me. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So let's get started by talking a little bit about what got you interested in the nutrition space to begin with. Yeah. So I guess when I graduated high school, um, I absolutely, I loved health and human development. So that was my favorite subject. That was the subject I did um, the best in. Um, but I was so, so scared of chemistry. Um, I think as someone who had just turned 18 um, and I didn't do chemistry at school, I thought there's no way I can do nutrition. Um, so I thought I would be, I, I love kids. Um, and so I thought I'll be a health and PE teacher. So I actually started studying um, Bachelor of Primary Education, specialising in health and PE. Okay. So I did that for a couple of years and then I realised that I, th- I really think I should just do what I really want to do and I really wanted to be a paediatric dietitian. That's what the goal was. Um, and I think as I got older, I started to have a bit more confidence in myself and got used to uni as well and thought, no, nah, I can do this. So, um, yeah, I got into the Bachelor of Food Nutrition at Deakin Mm-hmm. Um, and started studying there and chemistry was nowhere near as bad as I thought. So I was like, why didn't I do this earlier? Um, and it was absolutely fine. And then I did um, Master of Dietetics at Deakin University as well. Um, so I guess what really interests me was um, working with kids, number one, and working with families. I think that's always, you know, been really important to me. Um, but also how much you know, nutrition impacts the overall lifespan from those first few years of life Um, and particularly the first thousand days of life. um, That's really, really important um, and kind of sets you up for your health and well-being ongoing. So, um, yeah, it's always been a dream of mine and I have finally made it. (laughs) Yeah, congrats. It's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) When you graduated from your Masters of Dietetics at Deakin, how did you go about finding a job? Did you straight away go into working with children or was it a bit of a journey and evolution to get there? Yeah, yeah, huge journey and evolution, definitely. Um, but it's really started during my undergrad. Yeah. So because when I started my undergrad, I knew what I wanted to do. That really helped me focus. Yeah. So um, in my first few years, I started volunteering at as many places as possible. So I would work 
part-time, but I would volunteer probably more hours than working. Um, so I'd do things like, you know, at a soccer club, helping with their nutrition for their kids there. Um, I would work at the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Program. Um, and, yeah, really just kind of helping in every way and building up that resume. Yeah. Um, and then it was in my second year of my undergrad that um, a position at the Alfred Hospital came up for a nutrition assistant. And okay. um, so I applied for that. I didn't, I wasn't successful initially. And then a few months later, the position popped up again. And I was like, I'm just, I'm going for it 100%. So I went for the job um, and then I got it because they remembered me. Um, and it was amazing. It was probably the best opportunity I'd ever had. I ended up extending my Bachelor of Food and Nutrition by a year. So doing it over four years instead of three years um, and dropping back my uni load so that I could work more at the Alfred before I started my Master of Dietetics. So doing the Master of Dietetics, I knew I wouldn't be able to work. And I knew I was learning more at, in my role at the Alfred than I was in my undergrad. Yeah. I was watching the student dietitians come in. I was seeing, you know, who was doing well, who wasn't, you know, what were those factors of those students doing well. Um, so my role at the Alfred was direct patient contact. Mm -hmm. And so I would screen all these patients for malnutrition. So that was pretty much my job. And then as I got more and more confident, they started giving me, you know, more responsibility as well with these patients and um, liaising with the dietitians in terms of, um, you know, what interventions they would use with these patients, looking at their biochemistry. So I, I, I learned just as much as I did during that role as I would have at uni in my Master of Dietetics as well. And I think that's what really set me up to be really confident mm -hmm. in um, my Master of Dietetics. So once I got into the Master of Dietetics, which I think it is really competitive. So I think having that role helped me get in as well. Yeah. Um, I then going on placements, it wasn't really stressful for me because I, I knew the space. I understand how it worked. I understood how placement worked. I worked with, you know, up to 10 patients a day. Um, so I knew how to build rapport and I knew what to look for really and what interventions were really common and what weren't. Um, but then with the knowledge in the Master of Dietetics, I was able to build on that clinical knowledge. So by the time I got through the Master of Dietetics, um, which was amazing, and I would encourage anyone who's unsure whether to do the bachelor, just the bachelor or the master's to do the master's. Like you cannot go wrong. I think it was just incredible. It's 18 months of your life that is one of the most stressful <laughs> <laughs> most stressful but most rewarding 18 months of your life and you make the best friends ever because you stay at uni <laughs> all the time and you're with them 24 7 um but you you just gain so much from it so graduated there and I was still um on the books at the Alfred yep. so I was still working there as I graduated um until a position popped up but a position I was hoping something would come up at the Alfred because I was so familiar with the environment um, but there was nothing at the time I graduated um but a position came up at the Royal Melbourne Hospital yeah so 
are working in adults. So I knew that graduating, to get into a paediatric role mm -hmm. as a new grad is pretty much impossible. So I knew that. I knew that that was my long-term goal. Um, and there was these little stepping stones to get there. And one of the stepping stones is get your grad year done in a clinical setting. Get that hospital experience, um, which I'd had as a nutrition assistant. So, um, yeah, I got... I got a role at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. So that was probably a month or two after I graduated, the, a grade one role popped up. Yeah. And um, so I got that role, which I was really excited about mm -hmm. um, because I really felt like, yeah, that's a huge step into my end goal of working in peds. Mm -hmm. um, so I started at the Royal Melbourne in the subacute setting. Um, so with aged care and rehab which was really good so the pace is a little bit slower um but it does mean that those complex patients you get to spend way more time with so um you know a lot of people you know much prefer the acute setting but as a new grad going into a subacute setting is ideal because these complex patients will pop up you know these patients that you need to advocate for that they really need that peg tube or they really need that nasogastric tube and the team doesn't want to. Um, and you really get to develop those skills. Um, the multidisciplinary team in a subacute setting is really strong mm -hmm. and they really listen to you. Um, so you get to really practice those advocacy skills really early in your career if you start in subacute. So mm -hmm. I did that and then... Um, they advertised another role at the Royal Melbourne to go to the acute site mm -hmm. as a permanent position. So I applied for that. I think I was probably six months in. Um, and then I got that role and moved to the acute site. So again, that was another stepping stone that I used yep. um, and worked in the acute site. So again, my, uh, in this whole time I'm thinking, I need to get into paediatrics. So I've done six months in adults. I'm getting this clinical experience, but I still need to really get into peds. You know, I need to, I'm not going to get stuck in adults. That's not my goal. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, I also really wanted to start a family with my husband, yeah. um, but I'm not going to do that unless I'm a paediatric dietitian. <laughs> I need to meet my career goals before that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, moved into the acute site. And when you're in the acute site, you get to choose a specialty um, for you to upskill in. So during this time, I thought, right, the best area for me to upskill in that will benefit me in paediatrics is eating disorders. Um, so with eating disorders, the treatment for adults and paediatrics is not too different what you're looking for. Um, a lot of the time it's adolescents and their transition onto um, adults as well. So there's a lot of that handover between paediatrics and adults. Um, yeah, so I got into the eating disorder specialty and did a lot of cover for eating disorders at the Royal Melbourne as well. Um, and also during this time, because I was at the acute site at the Royal Melbourne, the Royal Children's is down the road. Mm -hmm. So um, I would volunteer at the Royal Children's after hours. So I'd walk down <laughs> um, from the Royal Melbourne, walk down to the Royal Children's after work and I'd volunteer there on the wards um, and I was a family support volunteer, um, which was 
really good. So I was with the parents who were talking to medical teams with me in the room, trying to advocate for their babies or children, um, and then seeing the aftermath. So mm-hmm. seeing the medical teams leave and them acting really strong and then the medical team would leave and I would see the outcome of what was said um, and I was there for those families. And, again, I think that's a huge, that's a huge part of what's made me the clinician I am as well because I, I remember that you could be saying something and the family could be just smiling and nodding and then you leave and the impact that you have with a small amount of words mm. is huge. You know, this is the most stressful time of a family's life when their children are in hospital. Yeah. So everything you say is going to be ingrained in their brain. Yeah. So you have to be really, really careful. Um, so I watched that a lot. Every week I was at the Royal, Royal Children's. Um, at the same time, I was also volunteering with the um, Royal Children's Dietetics Department. So because I was already in the volunteer program at the Royal Children's, um, this allowed me to volunteer within the Dietetics Department. So normally they wouldn't take um, anyone as a volunteer, but because I was already in the program, they, were, they could use me. Um, and so I did that a lot during my master's as well. So I, was, I had been volunteering at the Royal Children's for a long time um, and they, I had a placement at the Royal Children's and um, I had asked them and, and told them that, about my experience there. And so I did lots of things for them like, um, you know, getting the cystic fibrosis kids food diaries and entering into food works or, or helping them with their, um, like, writing up after some data they had got writing up reports um and that was really really good because not only did you learn a lot from being around these pediatric dietitians which was ultimately my end goal but you also develop connections Mm. and I hate using the word networking I hate it (laughs) because it makes you feel like you're using people but for me it's about establishing genuine connections yeah um and i think that's where i started to establish these genuine connections which then turn into references and references can help you get jobs yeah um and so that's what um you know i really focused on there so whether my end goal was at the royal children's or monash children's um you know, that's what I was aiming for. One of those hospitals, whoever will take me. <laughs> um, and when I, was, when I was still studying, they did give me an interview at the Royal Children's for a grade one position and I still had one placement to go, yep. but it was because they knew me. Yep. Um, I was never going to get it. I was still studying. I couldn't possibly have started. Um, but they did give me the opportunity to interview there. Um, which definitely helped. So because I'd established these relationships throughout my undergrad, throughout my master's and beyond, I was given these opportunities Um, and and there were genuine relationships. You know, these are people that I still talk to now, whether it's handing over a patient or whether it's socially. Um, But I think, yeah, it's really, really important to establish genuine relationships, not just networking um, because people can kind of see through that networking side as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, when I was at the Royal Melbourne 
got into the eating disorder specialty um, and really enjoyed that. Like absolutely loved it. Very different to the adult um, side of things where I was also working on um, like the gen med respiratory kind of um, units and then eating disorders was very different Um, and the patient group was young. And I also um, worked in GADS, which is the Young Adults Diabetes Clinic. So these are the young adults that come from the Royal Children's at around 18, 19 into the Royal Melbourne for their diabetes treatment. So again, that was my way of getting used to this younger patient group and working with them clinically and watching that handover between peds and adults. So once I had that kind of background, I felt a little bit more confident in applying for a paediatric role because I knew that in my interviews I could use that um, as my examples really because then you can quite easily then bring that back into something that a paediatric dietitian would do. Um, So I was probably only, I was probably less than six months into that acute role at Royal Melbourne when the position came up at Monash Children's. Okay, yeah. and when I saw that role, I was like, I have to have this. <laughs> like, I have to. My husband and I had just bought a house down the peninsula as well. Mm. So the thought of commuting into the city each day, you know, it was, it was getting harder. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Monash being a bit closer. And knowing the actual hospital, Monash Children's Hospital is pretty new. So they built... So that it was a ward and then they've built this brand new hospital in, in 2017. Um, so I knew that Ro- the Royal Children's is very established and it, it's absolutely amazing. But Monash has this like huge area of growth yeah. and that was really appealing to me as well. So when I got, um, when I saw this job pop up, I couldn't believe it and I worked so unbelievably hard. <laughs> and I think I called them within like, maybe four hours of it coming popping up like I called them straight away I remember being in the bathroom at work being like oh my god um and chatting to the manager who to this day is one of my favorite people and um yeah I'll never forget it and then they yeah they offered me an interview so preparing for that interview was so stressful because I was like this is what I want yeah like if I don't get this, I'm going to be so devastated. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I've got, I've got a career at the Royal Melbourne, but this is what I want. Yeah. And I kept reminding myself of that time when I applied for the nutrition assistant role at the Alfred, didn't get it, um, but then got it again. And I was like, you know, I've done this before, you know, I've, I've not got a job before. And then I've got that same position when I've gone again um, because you listen to that feedback and you act on it. So, um, yeah, I went for the interview and I really focused on absolutely everything I've done that could relate to Pete. So I think I wrote, learned everything. (laughs) I really focused on that STAR method Mm -hmm. of the situation, task, action, result um, with every single question and really brought it back to my eating disorder patients at the Royal Melbourne and, and how I could then, you know, transfer this to paediatrics especially because the role um did include eating disorders that's one of the units and also with yads 
um, so the diabetes kids as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I was successful with the role and it was the best feeling in the world to know that, you know, all that work over the last how many years has got you into this position. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was it's a grade one position, so obviously you're not, you know, moving up to grade two, three, anytime soon with paediatrics it's a little bit slower because there's not a lot of movement because once you're in peds that's it you don't move it's yeah. too amazing um but I couldn't be happier like I would stay a grade one for my whole life to stay there um so yeah and then I started there I think it was 2018 so it was about a year after I finished my master's okay yeah um I got into that role um, but in saying that, I'd worked at the Alfred for three years as a nutrition assistant, extended my bachelor to learn more there, and then at the Royal Melbourne for a year. Yeah. And then it got in. So um, it definitely wasn't I studied, graduated, got the grad role at Royal Melbourne, then got it. It was, it's all the work leading up to it yeah. that led me to it. There's no way I would have got it if I hadn't done X, Y, Z, like, before I graduated yeah because that that made made everything yeah much much more impressive on their resume yeah impressive is a very appropriate word all of that experience that you did that's incredible like and what a journey and how much you would have learned along the way it would just be so valuable yeah that's amazing yeah. and it's so exciting now that you are in this position that you're loving and it sounds yeah. like it's been an amazing journey yeah, it's been incredible and I'm on maternity leave at the moment. So I've got a little eight-month-old Chloe. Congrats. Um, yeah, which is amazing. But I am going back. So I'm working weekends yep. at the moment, yep. um, which is amazing that we have that opportunity. Um, it's just three hours on a Saturday and Sunday, um, which is really, really good. So it means that I'm now in a grade two position as well. So I've gone up to a grade two. Yeah. Um, while maternity leave, which I think is amazing. <laughs> and then I'm going into a grade two position um, in about a month's time, yeah. going back to work part-time in a grade two position, um, which has been, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just amazing there. I think once, once you're in a job that you know you're going to be in forever and you give your, you know, your leaders you know, you tell them that, you know, this is my dream job and I work my ass off and you actually do work your ass off, um, you know, they'll reward you for that, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, so they're very encouraging of, you know, grade one being pregnant is unusual. Yeah. Um, you know, 29 and a grade one. <laughs> so this will happen in paediatrics because it's much, much slower. Yeah. Um, and I did start my master's late because I started doing, you know, I extended my undergrad and I did Bachelor of Education first. Mm -hmm. um, but they're very, very, you know, encouraging of me having a family. And, you know, if you're a paediatric dietitian, you love kids, it's going to happen. <laughs> um, and they're very flexible around it. And it's something that I, I've never felt discouraged of having a family yeah. You know, never having to choose career over family, which is really good because both aspects are me. I'm very career driven, but I'm also very family driven. Yeah. Um, and I've loved being on maternity leave and having my baby and all of that. And, you know, instead of 
working on feeding for, you know, 50 children. I'm only doing one. So it's a bit yeah. of a break as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm sure having your own baby will be so valuable for how you can show up in your job. And yeah, it's like adding to your experience Definitely. and being able to relate with the people that come in and with the kids. And yeah, so I think if anything, oh, they should encourage you having your family and it's great that they are so supportive because, um, yeah, it's definitely yeah. with each other. Definitely. I have learned so much since having my Chloe. Like I cringed out some of the things I probably said to parents, like, you know, not factoring in nap times with a feeding regime or something like that, that I can imagine in my first, you know, few months working there, I've probably done like cringeworthy. So yeah, I totally agree. I think it's only going to benefit me in the long term, looking at it more holistically now, having my own little baby. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And- Oh, cool. So tell us a little bit about the day-to-day of when you're working. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about what it was like in grade one and what it's going to be like yep. when you go back from maternity leave and start grade two. Yeah, definitely. So um, in my grade one position, so I have probably the busiest workload because it's pretty much all patient contact. Yep. So um, what I would do is get there early <laughs> um, and get my list done. So in their children's hospital, we know a lot of the kids already. There's a lot of what we call frequent flyers. So we'll always look through the list to see if we know any names um, and often we will. So we will self-refer those babies and kids as well. Um, and then we look at the referrals on the list too. So first thing in the morning, I kind of, I plan my day I give myself at least half an hour to plan my whole day. So that will be um, new referrals. It will be the reviews I have planned. Um, and then it will be, go through the list of, do I know anyone that's in here? Yeah. So we look through the whole entire hospital and who's in. Yeah. Um, and so the units that I'm on as a grade one, are gen peds, neuro, cardiology, um, plastics, infectious diseases, um, and then I ended up doing some more things in NICU and special care, which is definitely my area of interest. I really love newborns yeah. um, and adolescent medicine, which is the eating disorders as well. Um, and then any of what we call the other units where we might get one referral a month for this unit, which is like ENT and things. Um, so the hospital's not huge, the Monash Children's Hospital. So it sounds like I'm on a lot of units but I would probably see maybe 10 babies and kids a day. So not, not a huge amount um, compared to the Royal Melbourne. I felt like I had to churn through them a bit more. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yeah. So I also see um, outpatients. So we have complex care kids. So we all, there's kids that, um, are going to be under a dietitian because potentially they've got a peg tube or things like that, or they've got these chronic conditions. Um, and we split them all up between the teams. So these are patients that will call um, me whenever they need as well. So um, often that there'll be some complex care that I need to do as well if they call um, or I have these planned reviews. Um, and then I also have... Um, some families that are recently discharged that will call me as well. So if they go home on hospital in the home, we've got a dietitian for that. Most of them will. Um, and then in between the hospital and the home 
and their next outpatient appointment, um, they'll probably call me if they have any questions of these patients I've seen. Um, and that's a gap that we'd really like to fill because there is a bit of a wait list and it is, is quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, these babies, if something goes wrong or they're losing weight, they get sick very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so our discharge planning is miles different to um, adults because with adults it's kind of like you've got your intervention, they discharge, you set them up with an outpatient appointment and, you know, they're adults, they can look after themselves, they'll call if they need. Whereas with us you could have one bad day for an infant that's been unwell and they'll end up back in hospital. Mm. So our discharge planning is a lot. So I would spend a lot of my day working on, um, all the discharge planning and then following up. So lots and lots of phone calls. Okay. So then we have our team meeting um, and we go through everything. And if someone's looking a lot more busy than others, we'll always help each other. And our team's amazing at Monash and it's really, really good. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm looking like I've got 15 patients, they're not going to let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, people are going to help me. Um, and so that's, that's really good. Yeah. And then usually I start with my priorities. So, you know, if I've got a baby up in, you know, gen peds that they need to discharge today, mm-hmm. um, then I'll see them first. And I kind of go through my priorities. Yeah. I'll always have multidisciplinary meetings. Um, so the doctors do their ward rounds in the morning. So I always know where to find them and chat to them. Yeah. Um, but we'll generally have a multidisciplinary meeting for one of my units most days. So it could be the NICU meeting where we talk about the 60 babies in an hour, (laughs) (laughs) which was hard pregnant. That's for sure. Listening to all of that, but um, yeah, the NICU meeting very fast and yeah, very efficient. Um, And then the gen peds meeting, you know, we might only talk about a handful of patients for the same amount of time. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of my assessments will be joint as well. So I do a lot with speech pathology too. Okay. So if a baby's coming in with feeding difficulties, we'll go in together because there's some things that I'll pick up that a speech pathologist wouldn't and there's some things that a speech pathologist would pick up that I wouldn't. And ultimately working together um, is way more effective for the family. You know, there's less time, you know, I'm watching a feed, they're watching a feed all at the same time. So, yeah, yeah, we do a lot of joint assessments, which is really, really good, really helpful. And we'll write our notes together as well, the speech pathologist and myself, to make it even more efficient. Um, And then we always have lunch together, (laughs) always. I think it's really important that you always eat lunch or else you just totally burn out. Yeah. <laughs> so we will always have lunch together, although at the moment with COVID, that's not happening, but that's okay. It's <laughs> different things. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, usually the second half of my day is a lot of discharge stuff, so a lot of the phone calls. So first half of the day, I really focus on um, doing as much as I can with my patients that are inpatients, talking to the medical team, and then following up anything I need to after lunch. And then after lunch is very much about, all right, what are all my babies doing at home? Yeah. Oh, cool. And then you a girl that pop up as well, which usually happen about half an hour before you're going to leave. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's always the way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, awesome. That sounds like it would be a fun day. They sound like they'd go very quickly. They keep you very busy there. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely goes nice and quick. <laughs> yeah. And how do you think that will change going into the grade two position? Yeah, so with my grade two role, um, I'm doing more of like leave cover because I'm only working a couple of days a week. Yeah. Um, and in the hospital setting, you get five weeks of annual leave. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So with the amount of dietitians we have, dietitians are the biggest um, allied health in paediatrics. Yeah. Um, we've, yeah, we've got a lot of leave. So I'm doing some leave cover while I'm coming off maternity leave. So a couple of days a week and then weekends. Um, so my role will be quite different because I won't have my set units. Yeah. So I won't have, um, you know, I won't be the contact for say gen peds like I normally would be or for NICU. Um, you know, if the dietitian who does PICU, the pediatric ICUs off, then I'd be covering that one. Yeah. Or cystic fibrosis so a bit of more of a jack of all trades <laughs> um, and that's similar to what I'm doing on the weekend so on the weekend it's just the priority one so it's the kids or babies in pediatric ICU um, kids or babies on TPN um, or any other you know really high priority babies that need to be seen um, so it might be yeah that they need to start an gastric tube um, on the weekend or TPN or anything like that. Um, so it's really good. I'm really excited to start this grade two position because um, I've really focused on that Gen Peds newborn area as a grade one, which is definitely my favourite. Um, but having this extra experience will be incredible to be able to feel like you can be that flexible and learn. I'll learn so much more. Yeah, being like exposed to so many every single unit like there's there's nothing holding me back <laughs> so um yeah I'm really excited for that I think it'll be really good and then eventually um as my baby gets older and if you know a permanent grade two position comes up in a certain unit then hopefully I've got enough experience in that unit from doing leave cover to be successful in a role yep. um so, yeah, I'm definitely taking it as an opportunity. So I think, you know, you could be a bit disappointed that it's not, it's really nice having your own unit and being that contact. But I'm really seeing it, yeah, as an opportunity that I can be flexible because I've got my baby at home and I don't, I don't think working full-time would work for me at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I have the opportunity to learn even more. So why would I not do it? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I definitely think it is a great opportunity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely really excited for it. Yeah. So if someone was wanting to go down a similar path to you and go into paediatric dietetics, what would your advice mm -hmm. to them be? Obviously, by the sounds of it, get as much experience as you can before going yes. into it. <laughs> yeah, what are some yeah. of the things you advise? Definitely. So if you're wanting to be a paediatric dietitian, really find, so it depends in what, setting you want to work in so if you want to work in community if you want to work in private practice you know seek out those opportunities yeah. so seek out find a private um pediatric dietitian and maybe shadow her or him um find a community center that has pediatric 
um, dietitians and see if you can help by, you know, making a brochure, you know, making, doing anything for them um, to build those genuine relationships. Um, if you're interested in working as a pediatric clinical dietitian, get your foot in the door through adults and then you'll find your way. So if you're wanting to work in a hospital, the skills are very transferable. So it might seem really daunting to, um, you know, move from adults to peds because you go from, you know, fairly easy equations that you can use for anyone aged 19 to 78 plus. <laughs> um, whereas with paediatrics, you know, the equations you'd use for a three kilo baby versus a nine kilo um, are very different and their requirements were very different. But you adapt. You definitely adapt. So if you're wanting to work in a clinical role, start in adults mm -hmm. and then find opportunities to upskill in areas like eating disorders or type 1 diabetes where the management is transferable um, and then volunteer at as many places as possible that you can in that area. So don't waste your time volunteering in areas that, aren't specifically going to help you yeah. in what you're interested in. Yeah. So, you know, don't volunteer at a like a gluten-free expo if you're wanting to work with cystic fibrosis kids, Yeah, you know. So really focus on, all right, if I want to work in cystic fibrosis, I'm going to volunteer for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation yeah. and I'm going to work in the adult setting and then you can use that in your interviews and say, you know, I'm really interested in this clinical area yeah. um, and then use that because they're not, one thing they kept saying to me when I got the role is they're not expecting me to know anything in paediatrics. Mm -hmm, okay. You know, they're not, they're not expecting me to just jump in and go. Yeah. I had, I had probably a month or more where I had my senior dietitian with me you know, would go through every patient together. And to this day, we all talk. Like there's dietitians that have been there for like 20 years plus, but we will all talk about our management. Yeah. So no one's expecting you to know anything or anything more than, you know, the basics of a grade one. Yeah. Um, and that's even if you come into a grade two role for paediatrics. If you've come from, if they've hired you from adults and they've taken you into paediatrics, they're not expecting you to know anything. Yeah. And it's really good to be honest about what you know as well. Um, so if you're feeling out of your depth, then flag it with them and then they'll help you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely, if you're wanting to get into clinical peds, start in adults, definitely, yeah. and then volunteer in the clinical areas that you're interested in. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. Are there any specific yeah. skills that you think are really important as a paediatric dietitian? Yeah, definitely. I think communication is really important. Yeah. Um, I think if you're, if you find it hard to have, you know, really difficult conversations with families, it might not be right. Yeah. Um, but if you've got the communication skills, you've got the empathy as well, and you're honest, mm -hmm. then I think you would excel, definitely. So, um, you know, growth is something that 
a lot of parents find is really personal. So we used to have this um, term called failure to thrive and it's when babies weren't growing. Mm -hmm. And that term's changed now to faltering growth because as soon as the parents hear that word failure, they automatically they're a failure. Mm -hmm. And so if you're telling them that their their baby isn't growing um, as to what you would expect, that conversation needs to be really sensitive. Yeah, of course. communication style needs to be adapted to each family um, and know that again you know these families could have a really strong front but they're going to break down when you leave if you're telling them that you know their breast milk isn't enough yeah so really explaining and that education for them and this is you know that's the main reason we get referred is for faltering growth these babies that aren't growing you've really got to be yeah a very sensitive person and really in touch with you know body language and things of these families yeah because there's these had you know this pregnancy with their baby you know all you want and knowing this as a mum too you just want a healthy baby yeah so when your baby is in hospital you automatically think you've done something wrong. Mm. So having that empathy for them, you know, even just sitting with them instead of standing, you know, those kind of things are really important. So there's been research in saying that if you sit with a family instead of standing, even if you spent the same amount of time with them, they think you spent more time with them if you're sitting down. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you've really got to get that you know, the eye contact, the body language, and really letting them know that, you know, this is not your fault. Like, <laughs> you know, there's, there's organic, what we call organic and non-organic causes. So there's the cause, like there's medical reasons and then there's these non-medical reasons. And for the non-medical reasons, you know, we do have a lot of kids that need to have child protection and, you know, potentially mum may or may not be doing this on purpose Mm. um but really let the medical team and social workers sort that out and work with the teams with that one but if it is the medical reasons then yeah having those skills to really communicate with the family so that they trust you as well so if they trust you they're going to implement your strategies and they're going to call you if something's wrong so if you can't build that trust then there's not necessarily going to be success for that baby. So that's really, really important. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's very different to adults. Like adults, you're like, well, if you don't do this, you know, your fault. But, (laughs) you know, these can't advocate. So, like, our patients are the babies. Yeah. But we've got to get through the families to positively impact the babies. The families have to, you know, tick off on everything we do yeah so if a mum doesn't or a mum or a dad doesn't trust you and doesn't want to do what you say yeah they don't have to but that might negatively impact their baby yeah so yeah if you don't have that relationship with the family um then it's potentially you know negative for your patient yeah it's a bit scary yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a pressure in saying that you know a lot most families see you and you know just want as much help as possible yeah Um, and and are very open to absolutely everything but of course you know we get really pushed that breast is best and you know have a lot of pressure on mums to breastfeed and some some might not have the supply 
Yeah. You know, some babies need extra calories that you can't get from breast milk. Yeah. Um, and reassuring them that it's still the right thing that, you know, we need this baby to grow. Yeah. Um, can still be a challenge because the whole time in their pregnancy and postpartum journey, they've been told one thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden someone's saying something different. So it's hard for a lot of families. Yeah, I can imagine. So what would you say are some of the biggest differences between working with adults and working with children? Yeah, so I guess, yeah, with adults it's much more fast-paced. Um, you know, you've got your goals, you've got your objectives, you've got your plan and you kind of work with the adult um, to come up with that and then it's really up to the adult to follow the plan. Yeah. Um, Whereas paediatrics, yeah, it is it is quite different because, again, you're working with families. So it's a very family-centred approach. Yeah. Um, they've got their own routines. Every baby is so different. Mm. So in adults, again, quite easy to know their requirements. You know, you know that X equals Y. Like it's pretty, <laughs> you know, calories in, calories out. With babies, it's you know, they're constantly evolving, they're constantly growing, their requirements are constantly changing. Yeah. So I guess it's the the follow-up is so different because once you've met your one patient, that like that's your patient. Like until you hand that patient over, that's yours for as long as they need you. Yeah. So yeah, it's very much about that longevity and that relationship ongoing. Whereas with adults, they might need a nasogastric tube and then you wean them off the nasogastric tube and then they're much healthier, happier and they're at home continuing on their usual diet. Um, obviously this is very general, like general medicine kind of vibes, but with pediatrics, yeah, it's, it's very much a, a long-term relationship. You know, a baby comes into hospital and you don't necessarily never see them again. Yeah. majority of the time you will yeah and that family centered approach um and yeah and just the differences between them in a month in a week it's all very different um i find working in pediatrics with medical teams is much easier yeah. so the medical teams in adults i found that you know you have to advocate a little bit more mm -hmm. whereas with pediatrics you know they need you like the pediatricians love us because they know if, if their babies aren't growing, none of their medical interventions are going to work. Yeah. So they'll refer to us really quickly. We have a really good relationship with the medical teams. You know, we'll go on ward rounds with them and things. So I find that multidisciplinary approach in pediatrics is really, really strong. Mm -hmm. And that was one thing I noticed when I moved from the Royal Melbourne to Monash is is yeah that that multidisciplinary team it was just amazing and how strong it was and how thorough everyone is as well like this these babies are not going home until we've had a meeting like multiple meetings of physios ot's speeches you know doctors nurses like everyone is just so passionate about every single baby and it's really nice to see on how you know, these babies are so well cared for and the follow-up's amazing. So, yeah, I just find it's really encouraging to work in this space. You you really are making a huge difference every single day with every single patient. Yeah, it sounds so amazing. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. 
Yeah. So you're obviously a very hard worker and I can just see your passion shining through everything you're saying. Um, what would you attribute your success to? I think, um, I think my motivation yeah. is something, yeah, that has always been there. As soon as it kind of clicked for me that, you know, I can, I can do chemistry, <laughs> like I can do this. As soon as I started believing in myself, yeah. then saw that, you know, I was successful in little things and then kept going um, and didn't stop, yeah. then I think my motivation has definitely got me there. I think as well that I've really developed those genuine connections with people. So, um, you know, doing volunteer work at the Royal Children's, developed that relationship with the manager of the Royal Children's Dietetics, who then was happy to be a reference for me for Monash Children's interview. You know, so those kind of things that um, has really helped me. And, and the same with the Alfred. So having worked at the Alfred, the manager of dietetics there is good friends with the manager of Royal Melbourne. So when I go for those positions and they're on my resume, they can socially call them as well. Yeah. So on your, on your resume, your references are really important. Like these are, this is like a link for whoever is looking at your resume. If they see someone that they know on your resume yeah. and know them as, as a leader or someone who's, you know, quite well known, that's a big tick mm. without even calling them. So I think, yeah, having these genuine relationships with, like really powerful people yep. in the in the setting that you want to get into is really important. I think that's really helped me definitely. And I think at the start it was not necessarily intentional. Like these are people I really look up to. So of course I want to have a positive relationship with them. Yep. You know, if they're my manager, I I absolutely adore them. Like I think you know, if they're my leader and they're someone that I confide in, if something's wrong or um, if I feel like I want to progress a bit more, you know, these are people that I honestly talk to. Yeah. So, yeah, developing those relationships I think has definitely helped me get my success, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and actually just being really hardworking. So, you know, going to my lectures and not leaving early because you're tired, you know, <laughs> you know, working really hard. Um, and also once you're in your role, not stopping. Yeah. So like amazing. I've got my dream role. Where can I go from here? And it's like, I'm on maternity leave, but I'm still listening to webinars. You know, I've started like an Instagram page to still, I, I feel I get so much satisfaction helping people. Yeah. So during my maternity leave, you know, I started this Instagram page really just because, like, you know, my baby was premature. Like, she would nap a lot. And, you know, having that still helping people and having that motivation to still, you know, be there for others and for people that I know and people that I've never met before. Um, yeah, like, still always always looking for more definitely yeah despite being on maternity leave everyone's like just relax and I'm like oh this is relaxing for me <laughs> <laughs> it just shows yeah. what you're passionate about because when you are passionate about something and you love it it doesn't feel like you're working or oh. related to work 
exactly. And, you know, my mum has always said that to me. Like she's a family lawyer and has her own law firm and just loves it yeah. and works ridiculous hours. And she's like, but I love it. And I've ne- I never really understood that growing up. I was like, it's work. <laughs> but now I totally get it. I totally get it that, you know, if you love what you do, it does, it's definitely exhausting. Don't get me wrong. Working in pediatrics and, you know, watching some of the most beautiful families lose their children mm. is absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and emotionally, I can't tell you how many times I've cried at work, you know, and I think that that is something that's really, really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get you get through it. You've got you've got your support, and you can definitely yeah still succeed. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Now, one quick fire question before we wrap up: If you could recommend yeah. one book for every listener to read, what would it be, and why? <laughs> I have no time to read. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it can be a podcast or a webinar. <laughs> oh my god! So what's really funny is. So I read it heaps to my baby. So I'm like, <laughs> all, all the books that I read to my baby are great. <laughs> you know, I love even fairies fart and all of that. But um, yeah, I, I honestly don't have time to read a book. I definitely read lots of journal articles and all the new yep. research and um, I get all the work emails and read through them. Yep. And I definitely still webinars mm-hmm. um but yeah I honestly don't have time I do really like um like dietitian connection has some good webinars like there's one recently on a vegetarian and vegan diet and children oh, cool. um which is really good because that is something that is becoming more popular yeah and I think instead of finding these parents um then we need to support them and that's things like even um, blended tube diets and things like that, you know, initially it was a big no-no, but these parents are going to do it without us and then get in more strife. So supporting um, families doing things that are not necessarily mainstream, we need to upskill on them, definitely. So, um, yeah, I really like those type of podcasts. And um, Health Edge as well has, like, lots of, um, webinars too so um, they've done ones recently on probiotics as well so I really like the health ed webinars and they're usually done by like consultant doctors Amazing. Um, like the most recent research and I just listen to them when I'm cooking yeah especially having a newborn I imagine you are quite busy <laughs> yeah yeah. She has her two good naps a day, but I try to do as much on my Instagram page and getting back to, you know, direct messages and things because I feel like that's helping yeah. um, a bit more. And then, yeah, listening to webinars and things when I'm cooking or going for a walk. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And before yeah. we do wrap up, is there anything that we haven't discussed or that you'd love to mention or touch on again to just like impart on the listeners before we do finish? Yeah, I think one thing that I learned working at the Alfred watching students on my placement and then now as a clinical dietitian, yep. you know, that looks after students is your placements are the longest job interview of your life. <laughs> so when you're on a placement, they, your supervisors 
you know, it's not just a pass or fail. You know, your supervisors will be your references and they're potentially also your, going to be your colleagues. Um, so really use your placements to show that, you know, you'd be great in that workplace, even if it's somewhere that you don't necessarily want to work. So if you're on a community placement mm -hmm. and you know you want to work in the clinical setting, you can still have a genuine relationship with your supervisors that will still benefit you in getting into a clinical setting. Yeah. So, and same with food service. So food service, you know, I did at the Royal Children's, but that helped me establish a relationship with the Royal Children's team there as well. Yeah. So every single placement you do, yeah, it's the longest job interview of your life. It is really something that you need to really embrace. Mm -hmm. um, and no matter how tired you are, no matter how exhausted or emotional you feel, we've all cried on placement and that's totally fine. But really use that to um, show them who you are and who you'd be as a colleague. Um, and I think most of, the, most of the students who are aware of that do well. Yep. Um, any students that you know, might see it as they, they just want to get through it, mm -hmm. um, you know, we can definitely see through that. So the students that come prepared, ask lots of questions. Like if you've come on a placement and you've never been there before and you don't have a question to ask your supervisor, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't look good because you don't know anything. <laughs> like you really don't. So you have to have questions because it's all new. Yeah. Um, and so it really shows that you care and that you're interested, even if you're not interested in the actual field. Mm -hmm. um, just put all your energy into it because you're not doing anything else. You're there for 40 hours, you know, <laughs> a week. So no matter if it's something that, you know, that motivates you or doesn't motivate you, you know, try your very best um, to use it as a job interview. Amazing. That's a really good way to look at it. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's something that I really held on to when I was a student. Yeah. And then when you're graduating, apply for whatever, you, whatever you're interested in. Yeah. Um, but just make sure that every single application is very directed at that job. Yeah. So, you know, if you change your resume for the job. Don't, you don't need to use the same resume for every single job. You can change that and manipulate it to that job. Yeah. So if that job's clinical versus community, your resume should be really different. Mm. Um, even though it's the same experience, like focus on different skills that you would need in that clinical versus community. Yeah. yeah so don't use the same application for different jobs. Yeah. I love that. Just going that extra step would be a great way to stand out. Yep. Yep. And always call, always call. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of um, a lot of places won't even interview anyone who hasn't called. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. a great initiative. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Brilliant. So, where can the listeners find you to follow along your journey and continue learning from you and all of your amazing experience? So I. I've started the Instagram page on my um, maternity leave, yes. <laughs> which I will continue. I'm really enjoying it when I do go back to work. Mm. Um, so that's at petite.nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, and you can find me there. 
Amazing. I will link to that in the show notes and on all the socials that I share. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm blown away by all of your experience. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just so impressed. You're doing incredible things in the industry and it's been brilliant to learn from you. And I know everyone is absolutely going to love this episode. So thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I feel like I gained so much valuable insight and advice from it and I hope you agree. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave me a review and tell me what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. Do you know anyone else that this episode can benefit? I would be so grateful if you share it with them. That way, they too can benefit from all of the insight that we covered today. Your support means so much to me and together we can help even more people build a career and a life that they love. Thank you for being here. Until next time, keep making your dreams a reality.